Hey everyone, and welcome to Be The Leader You Deserve podcast, where our mission is to inspire you to ask yourself, are you the leader you deserve? Hi, I'm Laura Donnelly. And I'm Jill Handley. And this is season five, episode 13, Engaging Families Through Effective Home Visits. So last week we discussed the importance of effective two-way communication with families and gave examples from the work in our own school. Some of the takeaways about the benefits of effective communication included building trust and respect, establishing reciprocal relationships, allowing um, you to understand each family, the importance of individual parent orientations to set the stage for future positive interactions, um, putting people, not programs, first and focus on listening, and adopting a strength-based perspective. So as you continue to build relationships with your families through effective two-way communication, the next goal in establishing engaged partnerships with your families is developing shared responsibility, which is defined as staff ensures that families have multiple learning opportunities to understand how to support their students' learning and to participate in decision-making and school improvement efforts. So in today's episode, we will discuss a strategy that helps develop that shared responsibility with families And in fact, this strategy supports all five goals of effective family engagement, and that's home visits. Joining us today, we are so excited, is our family ambassador, Amy McDonald. How many episodes have we said, oh, our family ambassador is going to be on later this season. Exactly. (laughs) Here I am. (laughs) If you've listened to any of our previous episodes this season, you've heard us talk about the work of our family ambassador. And for those of you who are new listeners, we wanted to recap a little bit more information about Amy's position. So we've always known family engagement was important, right? But for teachers... Let's face it, they're doing so many things. Going deeply with family engagement was just not something that they could take on. And, and this was pre-pandemic that we were starting to notice this. And so we were noticing that if we were wanting to engage more deeply with our families, that was a full-time job. Not that it's not important work for teachers. Absolutely, absolutely. But they have so many other responsibilities that they can't go as deeply with this work. Absolutely. And we also know that... Um, for those of you who have family resource coordinators, that that's a lot of the work they do is with families, but those roles were really established in a sense of things like um, LG&E, uh, or should I say electric bill, um, some of the basic needs, which we know are important, but we were seeing a need to bridge kind of the academic support, family efficacy, and helping their student at home and so for us, we needed someone who could bridge that gap through the, through the eyes of a teacher. So the end of that school year, because we always talk about prioritizing the way you do your budget, it should match your goals and objectives for real, not just in happenstance. We discussed, we need a position like this and we needed to be a certified position like this. So year one, it was called what? A parent investment? No. Apparently Apparently liaison. Yeah, Yeah. so year one, (laughs) parent liaison. Now, true story. The the apparent liaison position does not actually exist in our district, nor does a family ambassador position. Uh, So we had to be very creative with programming, if you will, and with funding um, to ensure that we were able to get what we needed with this. But that's what we call her. But that's what we call her, yes. Oh, lots of other things. <laughs> and, and so, again, that was um, that we committed to funding that position in February of 
2019. Yeah, February of 2019. So fast forward to 2020, and who knew that the pandemic was going to hit? And so then things just, we, we, we knew that we, we needed it and we saw some in-person needs for that. I'm gonna tell you, we would have fallen apart in non-traditional instruction for 18 months had it not have been for Amy and her position. Mm-hmm, 100%. So, Feeling without, good about myself right now, y'all. <laughs> so uh, without further ado, welcome, Amy. We are so excited to have you here. Yes, people, the wait's over. I'm just feeling <laughs> so glorified right now. <laughs> Uh, and well, again, your ears have probably been burning about every week because we've mentioned you about every week on this episode. And so we've kind of been, the build up has been, I'm sure the anticipation for our listeners is there because we've been talking so highly about you at every, every single episode. So we're so glad to have you here. So our listeners can sort of pick your brain and just um, grow from the wisdom that you've gained in your role over the short amount of time. So we're so glad to have you here with I'm us today. I'm so excited to be here. I want to touch on something you said because it's really interesting. When I took this position, I had no idea there was going to be a pandemic. So it really kind of threw me for a loop when we were at home, but it also worked in my advantage. And I'll kind of talk about that as the podcast goes on. So it was really twofold. So it was really eye-opening. Well, pandemic, no pandemic, we, we, we can't do this job without you going forward. So, um, you know, and it's funny because when you think about when you with Crystal Hawkins, who's our district family engagement lead, we had her on back in season two prior to Crystal assuming that role. That role didn't exist either. So I think that, um, you know, being innovative, we've talked about that, that when you have a need for a school, do not let boundaries or perceived boundaries um stop you from from going big or going home so all right anyway, going know. big or going to their home <laughs> you know, like. so we know that you have a wealth of information to share with our listeners but today we're really going to focus on home visits and so we all know the importance of home visits however it really was until you started this position and started really getting into the homes of families on a regular basis that we really understood the non-negotiable aspect of home visits Can you start by telling our listeners a little bit about why home visits should be an essential, non-negotiable for the work of all teachers? Yeah, I'm going to start with our mission at Kenwood. We always talk about educating the whole child. You really don't know the whole child until you've been to their home, until you've been in their, I'm doing quotes, but y'all can't see that, (laughs) in their natural environment. Mm -hmm. There's so many things that you can gain, even if you know something about their culture or if you know something about their family, there's so much that you can gain from being in their home and all the cliches, things they say, like apple tree. I mean, so many children are like their parents or, you know, you just gain so much from being in on their turf and in their environment. I thought you literally meant the apple tree from one of your home visits. I, I was thinking oh my God. I was thinking the same that's thing. That's a whole episode where I was picking apples, but that's, yeah. <laughs> so home visits, I'm sure people can read about these. You know, you can Google home visits and find, you know, effective strategies all day long. But you've really helped me, like, some things you shared I never would have thought of. So can you discuss what you consider to be strategies for an effective home visit? Like, I want to say start to finish what you do to get ready um, and then what makes it an effective home visit? Well, I think it's important first going in knowing a little bit about their culture. 
because everyone's culture is a little bit different. And even if we're not going to an ESL student's home, you want to know something about them so you don't offend them. I'm just going to give you an example. Like if I show up at someone's door at 9 a.m., that might be offensive to a family who's worked third shift. Or if I show up to a home with another person, that might put somebody on edge or be offensive to them because they think, why does she feel like she needs to have someone else? You know, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm sorry, not sorry yet. But that was one of the big things because I know, um, you know, for me as the principal, I'm always like, Amy, do not go by yourself on this home visit. She doesn't listen very well. Um, but never like, I got this, I got this. And so I certainly appreciate that. But it wasn't until Amy kind of helped me see that through that lens of, of what message you're sending when you show up the first time with more than one person. And that was, that was a real big takeaway for me when you, when you shared that with me. Yeah, I think no matter where I'm going or what I'm going for, the number one thing that I'm trying to get out of the visit is trust. So I definitely don't want to throw them off by having someone else I don't need a witness or I don't want to have to to get you to trust even one more person. It's going to be a hurdle for them to trust me. So I feel like, and if you're in a position where you think you need someone, leave them in the car. Sorry, Donnelly, but I've been like, Miss Donnelly, can you stay back in the car? Like, mm-hmm. just let me go up to the door because people will be on edge if there's, you already have someone showing up sometimes unannounced, two people unannounced, mm-hmm. you're really going to put people on guard. So, will you share with them what we do if we are worried about safety and it's just you? So, if it is just me, we always know where we're going to, what mm-hmm. home we're going to, but then we drop our location yeah. so that we can find each other. And it really just to map where, where our visits are, too, because a lot of our families do move around. Mm-hmm. So, sometimes we've had to go back through our... Yes. Our messages and see oh well they were here and now they're here so that kind of helps our tracking progress too for whatever your uh, system is like we use infinite campus that way we can keep their information up to date and Amy you said something about even if it's unannounced talk to us a little bit about uh, when when do you announce the visit when are they unannounced or is there a rule for that well if there is a child that I can't get a hold of let's say there's an attendance issue or even if there's an issue at school that I feel like needs to be addressed immediately and I haven't been able to get a hold of the parent and I feel like it's immediate, like I need to talk to this parent, then I will go to their home. And of course I want to give someone a heads up, but that's not always the case. And even if you even if you warn somebody that you're coming, they're not always ready. So <laughs> this is true. <laughs> But I think trust is the most important thing. And just to touch on that, it's really, and I've learned this as a teacher, ESL teacher first, it's really um, tempting to want to wear your nicest clothes to school and to look your best. And I'm, well, I'm not saying that I'm rolling in dirty, but you don't want to put someone off by wearing gaudy jewelry or wearing the nicest clothes. Like they might already feel compromised or judged just wear a Kenwood t-shirt or whatever your school may be that also lets them know hey this is a teacher at my door if it is unannounced wear your lanyard so you look like you're official but you're not you're not trying to put on airs I think that's really important wear your tennis shoes wear your jeans and you might be up there playing with five kids while the mom is signing paperwork or doing whatnot being comfortable I think puts you at ease and it puts them at ease as well I didn't hear you say hammer pants (laughs) 
Hammer pants if you got to. Like I told, like I told Marty Polio, you need it in. You wear the hammer pants. All right. So, what are some of the myths that exist about home visits that you have been able to debunk? Well, a wise counselor once told me, I'll never forget where we were. We were passing right under the expressway. We were on Taylor Boulevard, and we were getting ready to do a home visit. And Donley said. Even what you think are the worst of mothers have the best have the best wishes for their children. Mm-hmm. So really just one of the myths is that these parents aren't invested or these parents don't care about their children. Well, every culture has a different definition of what education looks like. And every family really has a different definition. So I think that's myth number one is that you're doing a home visit because these people aren't involved or they're not up to par or they don't care or they don't care Mm -hmm. there's usually just a barrier that's preventing them i think that's one of the biggest myths and i think that goes back to something we had talked about in another episode is is honoring every family for being their child's um first teacher Mm -hmm. and honoring them where they're at Yes. yes yes well and i think another myth too is that like maybe they people think, well, I'm going to do this home visit so I can enlighten them. That's not my goal. My goal is for them to enlighten me so I can see what do you need. Mm-hmm. Like it kind of goes back to the work with the funds of knowledge. Like what do they have to offer as far as what have they grown up knowing? For instance, I might go to a home visit and have no idea that they had a garden. So that lets me know that they know about plants. They know about seeds. They know about working together with their community. And it tells me a little bit more about where they came from and what their expertise is in. I feel like things keep coming back to the apple tree, so maybe at the end of the episode we need to tell that oh, story. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> so what are some of the mistakes that you have made while conducting home visits? Well, I haven't made any yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, going back to what I said earlier, every culture has a different time frame. If I show up at 9 o'clock on some people's doorsteps, that's rude. If I show up at five o'clock on some people's doorsteps, so maybe knowing their schedule and what is best for their culture, that was a big one. Um, Empty handed. Don't show up empty handed. You're already kind of asking for a favor by asking them to trust you and let you into their house. Mm -hmm. So definitely don't show up empty handed. So Amy, what kind of things are you taking on these home visits? Anything free that's at Kenwood that isn't nailed down. Uh, no, we've been really blessed. We've had a lot she of... Said, speaking of nails, no <laughs> kidding, like acrylic nails. Acrylic nails, lashes. Like when Laura said meet, meeting them where they are, you know, some people, they might have basic needs, but in order to feel good about themselves, like especially during the pandemic, all mama wanted was a new pair of jeans or all mama needed was a new pair of lashes. Well, guess what? I got my lashes on. Let's get you some lashes and let's get this done. So it really is just finding out what that barrier is and sometimes it's just like during the pandemic people feeling down and needing Mm -hmm. a little boost so let me help you do that boost so that we can get to getting and you talked about uh, you mentioned um, funds of knowledge and we know that one of the critical components um, of shared responsibilities with families is honoring that fund of knowledge tell us a little bit about how you go about doing that within a home visit Well, I think the funds of knowledge is really connected, especially because we have so many ESL children, is connected to their knowledge and their culture. So really being aware of 
not only what language they speak, but maybe what some of the norms are in their culture. Like, you should not go into someone's home and refuse whatever they have to offer you. So if they offer you a hot Sprite and Halloween candy on a silver dish, you eat it. Mm -hmm. You know, even during COVID, I would be on the porch, distance, of course, but I'm accepting their gifts. So really, and that is something that their mm -hmm. culture has to offer. You know, they're kind, they're courteous, like accepting gifts and really looking at their friends of knowledge and the way that, so their culture values giving gifts. So, and then that's something that you can talk to their child about at school. So going back to school and making that connection. Um, did you talk about shoes? I feel like that's another big one too. Like that's just something to, to know when you go to a home visit, does the family wear shoes in their house and are there shoes all at the door? Cause if so, don't wear your shoes inside. Yes. And if um. you don't know, and if it's not a parent, they would rather you ask. Mm -hmm. And I felt like that's one of the, the myths that you're going to put them off by asking too many questions. Go ahead and ask them. They would much rather you ask than bring your dirty shoes as they see it into their home. And another myth I think is you're going to offend someone if you ask for an interpreter. So I think there are less families than not that would rather you say, well, let's go ahead and uh, have an interpreter for me. Mm -hmm. You know, and even if you put it on yourself and that puts them at ease so they don't think, oh, she doesn't think my English is good enough. Well, it might be the way that I say something. And that's been the case many a times. It's not their English. It's my slang or my Southern Indiana. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about, so you've called home, you're trying to set up a home visit, but you can tell that the family is doing everything they can to avoid you coming. Talk to us about how you overcome that. Well, it depends. If it's a family that I already know, then I'm going to go through your cousins, your brothers, your aunts. Kidwood's a really small community, so nine times out of ten, there's somebody that I know that knows you. So I'm going to start there. So if there's some connection to be made, I'm going to go that route through a family. If I don't have that connection, then I'll go through a teacher. And if all else fails, then, then I will show up on, on your door. But I do not show up without a gift, and I try to show up at a time that I think will work best for their family. All right, so tell us, in your opinion, because you've got so many takeaways with, with home visits, tell us your top three do's and top three don'ts for home visits. Well, like I said, do's, definitely bring in a gift. And even if it's school supplies, like you asked what kind of things I would bring. Um, a lot of people have school supplies at, at school that we aren't using, and especially during the pandemic. We had a lot of things like T-shirts that... Anything that you can take, even if it's a small token, even if you stop at the gas station and get mom a candy bar, it's just letting letting her know that you are thinking of her. So that's a definite do. Um, I talked about culture, just knowing a little bit about their culture so you're not offending them. And then the other do is just go in with an open mind because whatever you... Whatever you're there for, there's probably a reason for it. And just knowing that they really do want to be involved, they just haven't had the opportunity yet because they haven't had the right vehicle. So that, I think, is most important is being open-minded. And how about the don'ts? Okay, well, like I said, there ain't no reason to be fancy. <laughs> nobody nobody wants, wants your Louis Vuitton purse on their porch, and that's them feeling judged. Um, don't show up with an entourage. Like we discussed, it can just be you. And if you feel uncomfortable, leave your partner in the car. 
Um, another don't, I think, well, this is a do and a don't. Don't leave without finding some common ground. Even if there's something, something as little as we both wear fake eyelashes on the weekend, or it might be, oh, you have a 14 year old, I have a 14 year old. Try to find that common ground. So don't leave until you can, until you can find that one thing that you can maybe tie back the next time you all have to talk. Oh, remember? Do you remember me? We both have a 14-year-old boy. Oh, my gosh. And so it's something that kind of helps you remember the family, but it helps them remember you, too. I know oftentimes when you're doing a home visit, our ultimate goal is usually to get something information-wise or to share some information. Um, usually we do have an agenda. Mm-hmm. So how do you find that balance between building the relationship, but imparting that knowledge, especially, or getting that information, especially when the imparting the knowledge or the information gathering is time sensitive. Talk to us about how to balance that because it certainly isn't, hi, I'm here to blah, 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 blah. Parent place right now. Right, right, that kind of thing. So talk to us about particularly when you're trying to do this for 570 families. Well, If you have to go back, it's better to go back than to sacrifice their trust for you. So if you don't get it and your deadline is one day late, because even if you go back the next day, spend that extra time, make that extra visit because you getting them, let's say you're trying to get to a certain percent on parent place, you getting them to fill out paperwork that first time, that's not building a bridge. That's just putting up a roadblock. So you got one thing out of them. Great. Where does that leave you? That leaves you nowhere to go. So just knowing when your parents are not trusting you and maybe not ready and then say, okay, you look like you're busy. You've got four kids here. You're working from home. This isn't the time. What time is good for you? And then trying to find a time that is better for them so that, because a lot of these things are, some of them are time sensitive, but nothing is, is more important than them trusting you. And that is so critical. I know um, in our last episode, we talked about our academic parent-teacher team meetings and how we, um, the personal touch. So, Laura, I, I told you to hold off. So, if you would go ahead and talk a little <laughs> about that. Uh, just from beginning to end, how, we, how that personal touch goes so far. Yeah. So, the year that we did those, um, instead of just like sending out the typical invitation or parent letter that said, hey, we're having this meeting with families. Um, all of our teachers that year took at least half of a day, I think it was. And, um, either myself, um, Jill, our assistant principal, and I think our family resource coordinator as well at that time went with the teacher and we did home visits to personally invite families to come to that, um, that team meeting night. And we were really intentional because every teacher went to three homes. And what we did was we said, okay, based on the information you've gathered about your families. And again, remember, we didn't have these great systems in place that we have now. We said, we put a little bit of criteria together, like what would you consider to be a fully engaged, a partially engaged, and a non-engaged family? And so we made it intentional that we went to one of each of the three houses. Uh, Just for a couple of reasons, just because we expected that there would be some things that would be stark differences, but I think what they found was how many similarities families had. And I think that all goes back to what you said, uh, Laura, was that every family 
regardless of how they show it, want, want what's best for their kid. And they're doing the best they know how as a family member. And I think the other thing that was really powerful about that was that it gave teachers the opportunity to go to homes and how just how much it opened their eyes because before that they had not done home visits for the most part. Um, and that was a powerful thing. So Amy, the last question, I know that you know to expect this. Um, what are three words that others who know you would use to describe you? Oh boy. Um, <laughs> gosh, I might have to change it up after the pandemic. Well, I, Jill asked me this then during our first interview and apparently every applicant answered the same way. They said funny cause I am funny. And that's one thing that I, I should mention. If you can lighten the mood with humor and something funny that's going on in the household, that will cut the ice. Like Amy has this uncanny ability to mention something silly or do something really goofy. I think you called it quirky. I think I called it quirky <laughs> to Dr. Marty Folio. But it really does break the ice. And she gets so much stuff out of families that I've never seen before because, solely because she does that. Well, and she's just not afraid to put herself out there, which, by the way, is just one of the many reasons why she was, there were there were hundreds of applicants in our district for an award that went out at the end of last year called the Lighthouse Leadership Award, and so we were so excited to have nominated Amy, and she was, she actually was one of six recipients of that Yay. award, so congratulations, Amy, for that. Brushing my shoulders off over here, you <laughs> And she does wear hammer pants on home visits. I'm just going to throw that yeah. out there. Like I said, you got to get in where you fit in. <laughs> but um or that was one word oh funny uh persistent i mean mm-hmm. these two know it. if there's a goal that i'm i'm trying to attack i i get a little bit obsessive and then i would also say committed like i said during my first interview not just school not just my boyfriend which is also my husband see how committed i am <laughs> but you know my faith my family all of that if i'm in i'm in I would 100% agree on that, for sure. (laughs) So a lot of what Amy talked about today um, really falls in line. We've been talking about the uh, Kentucky Family and School Partnership self-assessment really falls in line under the shared responsibility component. And so when we look at that, the, the critical attributes for that, the first one is linked to learning. And so a level three would look like schools use a variety of school and community resources and opportunities to individualize discussions with families and provide a preventative framework that includes a continuous, or I'm sorry, a continuum of instruction, intervention, and multi-tiered supports to meet the academic, behavioral, and social-emotional needs of all students. And Amy started by talking about our mission at Kenwood, which is the whole child. And so when you're going on these home visits, there are a variety of purposes. Perhaps it is to, to, to figure out that they need a bed built because Amy's done that. Perhaps it's that they need clothing. Perhaps it's that they need school supplies or they need a ride to the doctor. Um, so really it is just fact finding and helping remove those barriers. Um, because, and some of those, so some of you are saying, so how's that linked to learning? I mean, let's just circle back around to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If those basic needs aren't being met, kids can't perform at high levels. And that goes for parents, too. Parents cannot share in that responsibility if their needs aren't being met. So Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you, you know, you, you really hit on a, on a good part, a good point, is the way we feel about ourselves. 
if I'm if I'm not looking, you know, if, if if you can bring me a new pair of jeans to make me feel like okay, I, I'm presentable, you know, for for myself, for my kids, for my family, then that's that's what we're doing. And so, you know, one of the things that that Amy didn't mention is that she's also dogging down getting all kinds of donations, um, and that gives us a purpose. And that's a, that's another thing that I would say is when you're you're thinking about your systems and structures and tying it back to because. You know, when you go out in the community and you're asking for donations, you can't say, oh, I just work at a school. Can you give me gift cards to Walmart? Why? Uh, uh, so, so having an understanding of what those needs are about. And Amy, I know one of the things that you talked to me about, because uh, we get lots of clothing donations, which mm -hmm. definitely go a long ways. But you had talked about gift cards for another purpose. So talk a little bit about that. Well, uh, even if you have clothes donated, people like to pick out their own clothes and sometimes it might not be maybe it's not basic needs maybe they don't need food but they're too embarrassed to ask you nobody wants you to bring them hygiene you know so a gift card can go a long way without prying a lot so that can build trust right there but just the opportunity for them to feel independent when you bring just a blanket gift Let's say you bring a blanket. They might not be cold, okay? <laughs> they might actually need hygiene products. So it's really giving them that power and giving them some of their self-worth back. Like, we don't, I don't need a handout. I need to go and get it on my own. A hand up. Yes, a hand up. Absolutely. So the next critical attribute is collaborative. So you, clearly you heard every word out of Amy's mouth was talking about building that collaborative partnership and so what does a level three look like for that uh, families report that the school customizes learning opportunities based on family and student interests and needs staff and school leaders champion the importance of family and community engagement with internal and external stakeholders so definitely you heard a lot of that the next critical attribute for shared responsibility parent and leadership and decision-making roles Family, students, and community actively engage in the education process at all levels by participating in councils, committees, family recruitment activities, and planning and improving school programs. Now, you heard us talk about in the last episode that when you commit to engaging families at that level, there needs to be a system and an understanding and structures at your school. Don't go out and ask families what their opinion is unless you're ready to really listen and do something about it. And I think the same could be true. I don't think on the first home visit you're going out to say, hi, I'm Miss McDonald, will you join our SBDM committee? Not gonna get you anywhere. So just, just thinking about that, even though these are level three, even though these are kind of what we would consider to be like the next component of what you're working on, that true engagement, you've got a lot of steps, and I think those relationships and communication start with that. And then finally, and you heard Amy talk a lot about this, honoring parents' funds of knowledge. Schools intentionally implement two-way communication processes and strategies to access the valuable knowledge families can provide specific to their child that will contribute to student learning taking place in the classroom and partner with families to share their strengths and talents at the school and in the classroom. And we know that home visits, that, that's a great, a great avenue for that. Well, can I say something about that communication piece? However you can get your families to communicate, you need to honor that because even we all have a school messaging system, maybe you're using School Connects, maybe you're using Dojo, there's other options, but if that parent is only texting you until you can build that trust, that's what you have to allow. If, they're, if they are texting you at 9 o'clock, 
yes, set, set your work boundaries, but then answer them, you know, the next day if you're not answering them at nine o'clock, but allow them to have the communication that they feel comfortable with so that you can get their feedback. Absolutely. All right. Before we wrap up this episode and we go through our takeaways, we have to tell <laughs> that story, the apple tree story, because it's come up so many times. So we're just going to start this story. I'm going to let Amy tell you this was not a traditional home visit, but what led her to be at that house and how Miss Donnelly pulled up? So I was riding uh, the bus. Well, let me, let me back up a little bit. So I feel like I have to give context to this. So we know that the first two weeks of school, we have a few jobs. Get them in, get them fed, get them home safely. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you happen to teach a few routines and procedures in the middle of that, then that's a win-win. So it was, gosh... First day of school, mm -hmm. we had a friend who, um, and you, you've heard us, we've got a very large district. So some of our kiddos, um, because they have choice in their schools, their bus doesn't go directly from their house to our school. They go to a depot. So they'll, they'll take a bus, one bus, the bus goes to the depot, the child will get off the bus, get onto another bus, and come to school. And then the reverse is true going home. So we'd gotten a call, it was getting late, that one of our friends um, at the depot, once he was there, um, it's a busy place. And so we, we Kenwood staff members, we, we don't normally you know go to the depot. There are trusted depot workers that are there. The kids are tagged. Uh, but we also realize that accidents happen. And so on this particular first day of school, this young man was put on the wrong bus to go to his house. So as you can imagine, it was getting late in the evening and his parents were getting a little bit concerned. Uh, their students should be home by this time. It was supposed to be on this bus. So fortunately we have such a great um, system that's set up in our, in our district that focuses on troubleshooting with transportation that we were able to call, uh, troubleshoot, find out what bus he was on, get him home successfully. But clearly the parents were a little worried about, okay, we need him to ride the bus, but we're not so sure about him riding the bus. Because it was late when he it got home. It was late when he got home, and I can tell you, and he was in first grade. Okay? He was in first grade, but had never ridden a school bus because last year he was virtual. Yeah, so I want yeah. you to get that image in your mind. So, And he's also an ESL student. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. So keep in mind that our job is to assure parents that we... We are in charge. Your child is safe from doorstep to doorstep and give us another opportunity. Well, that other opportunity, of course, is Miss McDonald um, agreeing to Where ride. Where are we in 104 <laughs> degrees? That other opportunity knocked right, right there. Yes. Uh, so so no, no task is too big, honestly. And, and again, while this is initially directly about the student's safety, this is really about the increasing the parent's comfort level and, and trust with the school because... Clearly not anything that we had done at the school level, but their trust with the school system was broken. So we knew that we had to repair that. So enter Ms. McDonald on the day that the heat index was no kidding, 105 degrees. There was no air conditioning on the bus, but Ms. McDonald was strapped in and ready to go. So I'll let her tell the rest of the story. Well, I would like to say I, I did know the family already because... Jill had given me this opportunity, which is a bucket filler, if your principal will let you do it when you're the family ambassador, is to teach a little bit on the side, especially the kinder, so that you get to know the incoming families. So I did know I did know their family a little bit. And so the next day, I also want to say it's so important to treat these families like it's your family. If that was my baby, 
you better be certain somebody should be on the bus making sure at the depot they're getting on the correct bus. So I did. I sweat through my Kenwood t-shirt like a champ and my mask. <laughs> Thankfully, they were giving out water at the bus uh, depot. But when I got to their house, they were so kind and so thankful. And in this particular student's culture, what they do is give food from their garden or fruit from their trees. But in their culture also, it's part of the ambiance or the, um, the community aspect is for you to choose your own apples. Well, y'all, I did not necessarily want to pick my own apples at 104, 105 degrees, but those are the things that you have to do to build trust. So, enrolls Donley. Hold up. So, I thought I was being cute. I'm just going to say, there is a name of a street here. I didn't even know this street actually existed, but it was Old Town Road. And so, I was like, yes, I'm going to go pick up Amy. I'm going to be cute. I rolled up down my windows. I had it cued on my, uh, the music cued to Old Town Road on my um, my car stereo. I've got it blaring, right? Like, I'm pulling up in front of this kid's house on Old Town Road. She's got her lean on. She's got her hand, like, just rolling uh, on the steering wheel. I'm going to take my horse. And I was not She got it. in the car, and she said, if I don't win the next cost, if you don't want, let me win the next costume contest at this school, I quit. <laughs> Which, if y'all don't know anything about Kenwood, costume contests are everything. Culture and climate number one, costume contests right in there. Or mixed in. So, so really to tell this story, to say that, that there is nothing that Amy won't do, but the truth of just how far, so this family now, lo and behold, they super trust us. And fast forward to the next morning, Amy washed all the apples and were pear pissed. apples. They pear tasted apples. like pear apples. Pear yes, apples. Looked like apples, taste like pears. <laughs> um, and we were passing them out. And so when this young man comes through the doors, though, and sees Amy... With the apples that she had picked in his worth house, it. passing it out to the other teachers, it was worth everything. I got coach y'all, just was, because his face. It was everything. So not only did she ride the bus home that took, what, over an hour? Mm-hmm. I was smelling good. In 105-degree <laughs> heat. Then she had to stand out in the 105-degree heat and pick apples with the family. So she wasn't. She didn't think I was very cute rolling up to Old Home Road. But... <laughs> Because she did all of those those things, she built relationships with that family that we would have never built otherwise. Well, in that one family, you have to think of it like this. That one family knows 15 other families, yes. especially the ESL community is so small. Mm-hmm. So that's also my end to those other families. Absolutely. So I'm not just building trust with their family, which I would have done it for one family. But you also have to look at the bigger picture in that mm-hmm. sense, too. Absolutely. And that, that brings me before Laura kind of wraps this up with our takeaways is as a building administrator, we've talked about this was a position that never even existed. So again, challenge yourself. What needs do you have? Don't feel limited based on the current status quo of what exists. And that also goes into a schedule. There are many days that Amy will flex her schedule. It, Friday was a good example. Um, had families coming and picking up Chromebooks. Um, you know, so it could be it's a split day, a split schedule. It could be it's a start late. Um, and so, so just don't be afraid as a leader to challenge what you thought were former limitations that really don't exist. Um, you know, go big or go home when it's for the sake of your kiddos. 
All right, so here are some of our takeaways from today's episode. If you've heard us say the word trust once, you've heard us say it a hundred times on this episode already. The purpose of home visits is really to build trust, Um, whether that's with families that are disengaged, that have basic needs that they're not willing to tell you about, whatever the case may be. Trust is at the center of almost every home visit. Honor the family's culture. Jill likes to say, always take the cupcake. I'm going to say, always pick the parapples because it's worth it. (laughs) Um, Don't show up empty-handed. Take a gift. Um, Families like to see when you're coming that you got something with you. Don't show up in your nicest clothes either. Um, It's okay to wear jeans and a t-shirt or your hammer pants, whatever you're comfortable in. Um, if you can go alone, go alone. But if you don't feel safe, leave your partner in the car or send your location, really send your location regardless. And don't leave until you have a connection with the family in some way. Even if it's something little, make sure that you have something that you can talk about with the next time. You don't have to get a nickname. I like to do that too, but just any connection is good. So if you've enjoyed this episode, Engaging Families Through Effective Home Visits, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. We would love to know what burning questions you still have about family engagement and would like for us to discuss in the rest of the season. So send us a message on Twitter or tag us with your ideas using the hashtag BeTheLeaderYouDeserve. Now, if this is your first episode or if you've not listened to the entire first, second, third, and or fourth season, we'd love to know what you think. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts to get automatic episode updates for our Be The Leader You Deserve podcast. And don't forget to like and follow us primarily on Twitter uh, to get the most frequent updates, quotes, and inspiration to carry you throughout the week. Laura and I also post on our personal accounts, so check those out as well. And finally, please take a minute to leave us an honest review and rating on Apple Podcast. They really do help us when it comes to the ranking of the show. You heard us say that I think we're like number 12 or 6 or something like that in Sri Lanka. (laughs) Um, And we really make it a point to read every single one of those reviews we get. All right, listeners, have a great week. And don't forget to ask yourself, am I the leader I deserve? And what am I doing about it?